My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. When I look at the world, oh my goodness, it's a mess right now, right? Um, it, is, uh, it, it can be really depressing and discouraging. Uh, the world in many ways is broken. And if the world's not broken, our government's broken, right? And, uh, and so uh, in, many, in many ways, we can look around and see that there is a lot of brokenness, a lot of struggle, a lot of dysfunction in our world. Uh, we're not in uh, the highest place we've been before. Economy's kind of jumping up and down. Government, people are working without pay, essentials. And, um, and there's, just, there's just a lot of struggles that we face. And, you know, it's always a reminder to me that God is still on the throne in charge, and he's a God of love, and that even in these, maybe even especially in these moments and these times, God uses events to wake us up. Because you're either the kind of person that is broken and knows it, or is broken and doesn't know it. And uh, other than that, you're just broken. We're all broken people. And the reality for us is that God loves broken people. One of the reasons I love our church is that we are for broken people. And beyond that, we are actually filled with broken people. We are all people who've been broken, who have wandered away, who've struggled, who have found that there's a God that loves us. And so if you find yourself broken, maybe filled with a little embarrassment or a lot of shame today, just welcome to the family uh, because we are all a part of that. And we're all on a journey. And there are great breakthroughs. I hear them all the time, uh, that, that God's doing movement in our hearts and lives. And, and uh, it's just it's exciting to be a part of that. Um, this last uh, week... I was down in California with my family, went down to visit in-laws for Christmas, and on the way back, decided to drive up the 101, uh, take my family through Mendocino Coast. It's beautiful up there, the redwoods and everything, and there's a couple things I wanted my sons to see they'd never been before. But um, we ended up with two cars, and so, because my boys are driving now, I'll, if you want to get on my text so you can know when they're driving and you can stay off the road, that's fine. Um, but actually, jo- Josiah is super cautious. In fact, I was in the back seat today, like with child locked doors going way too cautious. Just gun it, please. You know, we got to get, get, get there. But um, uh, so we got two cars. So I had the opportunity to spend time with my sons at three hour blocks, you know, which is about all I can take or they can take actually. And, um, and so I, I was able to kind of process through some end of the year, beginning year things. And um, I wanted to get to my shame talk. And if you've been at Sunrise for a while, you've heard I've done my shame talk a couple times. But um, I wanted to kind of just talk about that. Uh, For them, as young men growing up, as adolescents, kind of some things I'm learning and processing in my own life and my own history about shame. And and so if you've heard it before, fine. But if you've not, this is kind of my dad's shame talk that I talk to my sons about. You know, the the reality is you and I, um, we are all broken. And we, because of our brokenness, work really hard at trying to fix that. Now, if, if you go all the way back at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 
uh, 1 and 2, it says that God created everything good, and when he got to mankind, Adam and Eve, he said it's very good. And in Genesis 2.25, there's this little statement. It says, and the man and the woman, Adam and Eve, were naked and no shame. Now, we wouldn't experience that if all of a sudden, like, our clothes were raptured, okay? We would not experience that, okay? But back then, in that moment, they walked together, they talked together, the horizontal relationship between them, vertical with God, everything was perfect. There was nothing broken. God made them whole. And yet, you know, of course, that Genesis 3 shows up right after Genesis 2, and Genesis 3 is they sinned. And immediately it says they felt shame because of their nakedness. And see, in that moment, they saw themselves in a new way, in a way that they had never been designed to see themselves. And reality is there was a fracture in their heart. The Bible calls that sin. We might call that disruption or dysfunction or whatever. But the reality is the brokenness happened at the very beginning. And we've been working that out ever since then. And uh, if you look, take a look at how Adam and Eve tried to figure that out and fix that, uh, what they do, they, they hid, right? And we still do that. <laughs> we go into hiding because we are naked. People are going to see us as we are. There is this great fear in us that people will see the real us. And so we hide. Uh, we also try to cover ourselves. They, they put fig leaves around themselves. And, you know, I don't know how that all worked. But, um, you know, they, they attempted on their own to cover themselves, to cover their nakedness and their shame and their fear. And uh, then they hid behind a bush there, and they ran and hid, and then God, you know, saw them and asked the question, where are you? And that's our God, because he's not just going to shine the the spotlight on him yet. He's going to ask the question, where are you? Do you know where you are? Do you really know what's happened to you? And then they went into blame mode. Man, that's awesome. I love doing that, right? It's like, it wasn't really me, God. It was the woman you gave me. That's a great one. And, And the wife's like, well, it was the serpent. And the serpent's like... You know, it's like just you can keep kicking the people all the way down the line. And, and, and so there was a lot of blaming and shaming and running and hiding and things going on. And, you know, we still do that today. And what we attempt to do is to hide our shame uh, because of things that happened to us. I share freely with my sons how I grew up in a, a household of shame. Uh, my dad parented through shame. If you're, I'm 54, so if you're my age or older, uh, that was kind of the way you parent kids, right? Make them feel like garbage, and then they'll get better. It's like, it doesn't work like that, but nice try. And uh, so a lot of shame, and you know, you know you're, you're not doing it right, you're never going to get it right, and hopefully that'll motivate you towards something. But it, it fractured in my heart, I know that. And I shared some situations, and they've all had those situations, and they've grown up in a good household. But we... We try to fix ourselves. We, like Adam and Eve, try to cover ourselves. And so because of our fracture, because of our brokenness, because of our, you know, our real identity is fractured and broken and we're filled with shame because of that, we attempt to cover ourselves. And, and you know, we do this by our personality or the, our actions. And, and, you know, you can either become a really smart person or you can become a really good person, a moral person. You can become uh, someone who's really talented. You can become, you know, someone who's Mr. Perfect, Miss Perfect, drama king or queen. You know, we got those, you know, at Sunrise. And that's just our pastoral staff right there. And, um, you know, and so we, it starts from the top, trust me. And, and so in our attempt to hide, hide and cover ourselves, we create this false identity, this false self. Um, but in as much as that works, one day it doesn't. And when it stops working, we go into panic mode because somebody might see us. And, and that scares us to death. I remember reading in college uh, many years ago a book by uh, John Powell, Catholic priest, and he wrote this book called Why Am I Afraid to Tell You Who I Am? 
And the question throughout the book is, why am I afraid to tell you who I am? And he says, I'm afraid to tell you who I am because if I tell you who I am, in other words, if I open myself up and expose the real me, the naked me inside with all my shame and all my brokenness and all my fear and all my insecurity, all of that, if I do that, that's all I have. And so if you reject me, I, I have nothing left and I can't afford that. And so why am I afraid to tell you who I am? It's because you just might see that and be horrified. Now, the truth be told, if you're horrified at somebody's, you know, exposure, then you haven't come to terms with your own exposure because we're all broken and we're all filled with pain and shame. And it is only God who comes in who sees through all of that and God does what he does. He covers us. And that story of Adam and Eve, he went and took that, flimsy covering off, and he covered them with this skin of an animal, and, uh, which is a precursor of seeing that God loves us so much that something would die for us, a, an animal would die, that blood would be shed, which is a small little glimpse of what Jesus would eventually come to do and truly cover our shame and nakedness. And you know, we're on a journey like this. Uh, this last year, I read through my Bible. Again, I, I talk about that a lot. It's my 31st year. A lot of you did that on the journey. I sent it out again at the beginning of the year. But every time I read through the Bible and journey through the Bible, something jumps out at me that I, I've never seen before. And it's like, that wasn't there, you know? I got a new Bible, you know? And uh, this year was the same. I'm reading through in November the book of Philemon. I'm like, Philemon, I couldn't even find it. You know what I mean? It's just this small little book. It's one chapter. It's really only 25 verses. And... Um, and it's just this beautiful little letter that a guy named Paul, an apostle who's going around sharing about Jesus and the good news about Jesus, who gets thrown into prison because of the message, he writes to his friend uh, a continent away, a couple countries away, and he writes a personal letter. And I'm going to tell you, it is intimate, it is beautiful. And when I read it and I caught the glimpses of a couple things, I started weeping because I thought, you know what? That talks about shame. And that talks about being caught. And that talks about being found out. And we find here a community of faith, a community of love, a community of acceptance. In fact, I think it mirrors Sunrise Church and what you guys have going on, what we together have going on. And so I thought it'd be great to start the year with a vision message just to go through the book of Philemon. It only takes one weekend. How about that? That's pretty fast <laughs> preaching, right? And so it's 25 verses. We're just going to read them all, okay? And it'll be on the screen, the wall Bible there. You could open up somewhere in your Bible to Philemon. You'll find it in the New Testament. And so um, I'll just kind of read a couple things, make some comments, and, and draw to a close. I've got a great video story of a sunrise uh, person to share with you. And then we'll worship and, and, uh, and be done. So Paul says this. This letter is from Paul. Uh, he's the Apostle Paul, the one that went around and did all the missionary work to tell people about Jesus, plant churches, and everything. This letter is from Paul, a prisoner for preaching the good news about Christ Jesus. The good news uh, in church world, we call it the gospel, which isn't a style of music. Uh, it's really uh, the message, the good news, the announcement that God has so loved the world that he sent his son Jesus. And there is now a family of God, a kingdom of God that we can enter into and that God is restoring things. So the good news, I'm in prison because of the good news, and our brother Timothy, you can read about Timothy as one of Paul's disciples, and uh, he writes a couple letters to uh, Timothy later on. I'm writing to Philemon, so this is kind of the salutation. Philemon is a guy that was, uh, had opened up his house in the city of Colossae over in Turkey, so a different uh, kind of Asia Minor, different continent away over there. He's in, in Rome, he's in Italy, there in Europe, and so he's writing to his friend Philemon, 
our beloved co-worker, and to uh, Sister Ephia. It could be Philemon's wife, we're not sure, and to our fellow soldier, Achrippus, and to the church that meets in your house. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Now, this is kind of cool. By the way, when I read this in November, I thought, that's my next, you know, that's what I'm going to end all my letters and emails with. So now all my emails, they used to be blessing, and people get kind of laugh at me, but it's like, because I'm not from the South, you know, it's like, blessing but now it's all grace and peace you know what i mean so grace and peace james um but i got it from that i'm like i like that grace and peace but look at this the church that meets in your house now it's a really cool thing because when you think about it in the early church the first 300 years of the church after you leave the city of jerusalem where there were untold thousands of people meeting in the temple and in homes the church existed in people's homes now i don't know how many people you can fit in your home Pastor Kevin and I had the great honor and privilege of going on a trip to Colossae, to Ephesus, to these places, and we walked through some uh, beautiful, you know, 2,000-year-old spaces of homes where you could see fitting people, but at most you could fit 20, 30 people in a home. So all churches were small churches, and all churches were house churches. That's just what they were. And the fact is, is that you couldn't build a church building that wasn't even thinkable for a long time because you were persecuted. And if You couldn't put a sign up and put a cross up because that would be like the indicator that you're there, much like that happens in Coptic Cairo today or in the Middle East, and they'll just destroy that, burn that down, or there in the Philippines. Or, you know, there's a lot of places where Jesus is not welcome, right? And in the first couple hundred years of the church, 300 years specifically, Jesus was not welcome many times over. And so they couldn't just go public and build a building or meet in the building. They would meet in homes. Now, which is really cool when you think about it because that means that you have to open your heart to people as well. Because you're not, it's not just a church service that's an hour and 15 minutes long and maybe they're serving coffee, probably not, you know. What are they doing? That maybe they don't have childcare, maybe they don't have ushers, maybe they don't, you know, it's just not a church service like we think of it. It's a small group. It's not where you sit in, you know, rows and look at me, thank the Lord for that, right? It's where you sit in circles and look at each other. And they didn't have Bibles, They had some stories, they had some texts, they had some hymns that they would sing, they had some notes and letters from Paul that were coming through, and then the the gospel message, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, eventually, that they would read. But for the most part, it was a gathering of 25 to 35 people, and whoever hosted that, they were exposing their very life to people, because everybody in the town would know that person is a believer. And so it was a beautiful picture of hospitality. Remember what hospitality is? We talked about this. It's the love of strangers. And that literally means strange people, okay? Meaning people that are different than you, okay? And if you looked up when I said that, you are one of the strange people, right? Okay. Uh, uh, the fact is, is that you're just different. It could be social, economic. It could be racial. It could be political, religious. Somebody's different from you. And so Paul's writing to a guy, Philemon, who opened up his home to people. But more than that, we're going to see is he opened up his heart to people. And something happened. I think there's no greater example of a Christian community, of followers of Jesus coming together than when we open up our very homes to people. Um, In the early days, traveling preachers would come through and you'd open up a bedroom for people. That you would open up a very space for people that you, you know, considered yours and now it's God's. And so they opened up their lives and they lived in this fellowship that we don't often experience today unless you're plugged into a small group, okay? A community group. And so then the story goes on. This is, this is where he gets to. He says, I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus 
and your love for all God's people. And I, this is really cool. I told my wife this today. I, I read my sermon to her uh, usually on Saturdays to see if she gives the thumbs up or thumbs down. If she gives thumbs down, I don't know what I'm going to do. It's the only sermon I got, right? And um, it's usually thumbs down or, uh, you know, and she goes, yeah, this is good. And, and I want to tell you this. Paul writes a great letter. And if you've ever had a if you ever had a conversation with someone, you have to tell them something difficult. You always sandwich it. You know, you start with something awesome and then end with something awesome. And then in the middle, you're like, hey, but I got to tell you this. This is what Paul's doing. This is great. I always pray for God. I thank God when I pray for you because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people from continents away. He's hearing about this. And I'm praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. As you experience it, as you encounter this stuff, it's getting out, it's leaking out to other people, it's spilling over to, into other people's lives. I keep hearing about it. I'm in prison, I'm in jail here. People are telling me reports from a town, you know, long, 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 long away from where I'm at. I can't get there, but I hear about what's going on, and I'm so proud. I'm so proud of what's going on. We'll discover that He's a, 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 you know, a disciple of, of Paul that somehow Paul led him to Christ because he, you know, he owes him a lot in this, spiritually speaking. And he's like, I'm so proud of what's going on. I'm hearing about it. Which when I, I thought about this, I thought, this is great. And I thought, is that what people say about us? Could somebody write you a letter? Hey, uh, I, I just, you know, Tim, I, as I think about 2018, I just, I just want to tell you about your, uh, I want to tell you about your love and how your love poured out into my life. Um, it'd, be, it'd be like this. I mean, just be, you know, Darren, I just, you know, your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, how your faith was evident. I want to tell you how that changed my life. Can somebody say that about you? This guy was living it out here. And uh, the generosity that comes from your faith, how it was spilling out? You know, could, could somebody say that about you? And I, I hear that you're, you know, experiencing all these good things. I, I'm praying for you because of this. Your love has given me much joy and comfort. Your faith and your love and your generosity, your action, you're, you're for, this is not some Christian follower of Christ that sits back and leans back and waits for other people to serve him, right? Other people to feed him, right? It's this guy is out there living it in such a vibrant way, not a perfect way, but a vibrant way that other people are receiving the benefit of this guy's Christian life. I love that. Would it be said of you, and if not, this is night, the first week, you can make some resolutions still. There's still time to kill him, right? Destroy him, uh, you know, but we, or make him, right? That this year, I want my life, my walk with Christ to overflow into somebody else's life. That could mean ministry. That could mean uh, leading a ministry, discipling could be leading someone to Christ or walking them on the journey. Uh, it could be leading a small group or opening your home to someone in, in the ministry. It could be serving in any of the capacities we have here. And so he says, your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God people, God's people. I love that. Could that be said of us? I think, I think it's said of us in a big way at Sunrise Church. It's like Sunrise Church. And that is said because of the people who make it up. And that's a really awesome thing. I hear about it a lot. I get calls about that. I just got a call from a gal in the city and she was talking about something and making some comments. And, and in general, it was like, man, it's thanks so much for Sunrise and this and I can't wait for this and everything. And this is, this is just the general overflow of us as a church. But what about you individually? Could it be said of you as a person that that is what's going on in my life? That I'm living my life in such a way that my walk with Jesus is just spilling out into other people's lives. 
Now, now he gets to his ask. This is really good. I love this. I'm going to ask you a favor, all right? This is really cool. That is why I'm boldly asking a favor of you. I could demand it in the name of Christ because it's the right thing for you to do. Notice how Paul walks this tightrope of him being a leader over people who actually is a key leader in the church and in writing in the New Testament, but with gentleness, he never demands, but he puts some nice pressure on this guy to do what he wants. Okay, check this out. I could demand it in the name of Christ because it's the right thing for you to do. This is not your mom or dad coming up and going, well, you know, Jesus would want you to do this, so clean your room. You know what I mean? It's not like that. It's, but it, it, it's kind of like that. It's kind of like this is what Christ would do. It's what he did, so let's do it. Check it out. But because of our love, because of our friendship, because of what we have, I prefer simply to ask you, consider this as a request from me, Paul, an old man. And that guy kind of like, you know, eh, dude, that's not fair. You know, you're like, I'm an old man. Man, I got to do it because you're an old man. Worse than that, and now also a prisoner for the sake of Christ. Come on. You know, your friends, you're, you're, you're an old guy. Paul's like laying it on. This is really good. He's saying, this means a lot to me. And what is this request? I appeal to you to show kindness to my child, Onesimus, not his physical child, but his spiritual child, Onesimus. I, I appeal to you to show kindness to my child, Onesimus. I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Onesimus hasn't been of much use to you in the past. Oh, there's a relationship here. Interesting. But now he is very useful to both of us. I am sending him back to you, and with him comes my own heart. I love the, the gentleness. Now, I want to just stay on this slide for a while. I want to talk about a few things. Here's the story. This is the backstory of what's going on. Is that Onesimus was a slave. Um, I, I wrote some thoughts here, and I kind of want to read them because... It is one of those um, struggling kind of scenarios when you think about what we think about slavery in our own history, in the United States, in our own, our own world, the British Empire and such. When we think of slavery, that's what we think of. Maybe we think of slavery today. There's slavery going on around the world. We see that. We know that. Um, the slavery that Paul was writing in, in the context of was in the Roman Empire. People who have done studies say that in the Roman Empire in general, up to 20 to 40% of people would have been considered slaves. In Italy itself, where Paul is writing from in Rome, 50% slaves. Um, it, it was still a relationship that wasn't desired. It wasn't like it was a good thing to be a slave by any means, okay, in that sense. Um, but in the Roman Empire, uh, the whole empire was driven by the slave job, not the slave trade as much as the slave job. I, I wrote a couple thoughts down. Uh, slaves were cooks. Slaves were household staff. Slaves were bookkeepers, they were merchants, tradesmen, engineers, teachers, and physicians. The Roman nobility, the, the upper crust, you know, they despised the minutiae, the detail, the administrative work, so they just hired or bought slaves to do all the detail work. The Roman Empire was run from the machine of slavery. Some of it was exactly as we think about the horrific slavery of our past, and some of it was more of an indentured kind. You sell yourself in for a season, a debtor's prison, you could buy yourself out, Okay, but it was still slavery nonetheless. And when a lot of people read the Bible today and people that, you know, are very justice-minded as we all should be, 
They go, well, there's slavery in the Bible. It's wrong. And why isn't Jesus preaching against slavery? Even Paul. What you're going to discover is something that actually is a little uncomfortable. A little uncomfortable is that Paul um, did not preach against slavery. In fact, here's what he did. He said, whatever status you're in, find a way to serve God through that. Wherever you find yourself, if you're rich, use your riches to serve others. If you're poor, use your poverty and your gifts that come along with that that you could serve to serve people. Uh, Whatever it is, whether you're of a great family, use those influences to serve the family of God. Whether you have no influences, use your own abilities to serve the family of God. Paul, basically, in his writing said, it's not about your status. It's about your service. It's about the way you see the purpose of your life, wherever you find yourself. Um, Several New Testament letters that Paul wrote, he encouraged Christian slaves to obey their masters as if they were obeying Jesus Christ. And other letters, he urged masters to treat their slaves with kindness and gentleness because they were now brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, what Philemon could have done, probably should have done, that everybody else would have done, was when Onesimus came back from slavery, which we're going to see as a story, he would have branded him on his forehead with a mark, and it would have either been, uh, the, uh, the, for Latin, an F, a fugitive, a runaway, and so forever that person would be known as a fugitive, um, could be disciplined severely because of that, or CF, a thief, someone who had stolen, and so it was a sign that said, beware the thief, and he could have done that. He would have had every right to do that, but Paul says you no longer have that right because of what Jesus Christ has done in your heart. Uh, Probably Paul writes a lot of his letters from Rome in prison. He wrote one where he said this. He said, what has happened to me being in prison has actually turned out for the better. And Paul says, even my own slavery to Rome as it is, the chains I'm bound up in, God's using it for good, so I want to set an example for that. Um, But in Paul's dealings, early on he writes in Galatians, he says, you know, now as a family of God, there is no more Jew or Gentile. I know that used to be the dividing line. It's not anymore. There is no more slave or free. That used to be the dividing line. You were rich, you could buy slaves, you were poor, you were a slave. There's no more male or female. That used to be the dividing line. We are all one in Christ. And yet by the end of the first, second, and third century, all of a sudden this whole slavery movement changed as believers in Christ were giving opportunities to free slaves to let go of people who were in slavery. Paul says, okay, Philemon, here's the story. You could punish him. You could severely discipline him. You could turn him over to the authorities. Um, And depending on what he stole, I mean, maybe this guy could forfeit his life. But I want you to do something different. I want you to see yourself as Christ sees you. And see Onesimus as Christ sees you, that I want you now to take this guy who had no value to you, that actually was negative, and I want you to consider him a brother in the Lord. In the early church, when slaves and masters would come to church, they would sit side by side as brothers and sisters in Christ, and they would worship together and hear God's word together. They would receive communion together, Lord's table, and and then that would change how they treated each other. Paul says, I want to do you one better. I want you to let the guy go. I want you to free him from his debt of what he stole from you. And I'm going to appeal on the way God actually freed you from your debt. 
And when you think about that, when you see people as God sees them, I think you will love them as God loves them. If we see them as we see other people, we won't because we see people up and down and better or not better or worse off or whatever and we're always better than other people, right? That's how it is. Um, But that's not the value. The value is when we see as God sees, we'll love as God loves. Now, a little little thing here. Look at this next slide. You know what Anissa's Mrs. name means? Well, you know what it means because it's on the slide. It means useful. Go back to the slide, if you will. Just the last slide. Look what he says here. He says, he hasn't been of much use to you. Isn't that kind of funny? A little ironic, isn't it? That a guy whose name means useful is less than useful. Actually painful, right? But he says, now he's truly useful to both of us. He is living up to his name because of what God has done. Now, that's what I read in November. It just floored me because I was in tears thinking about my life. I was thinking about how I wasn't useful when I was running away from God when I was doing my own thing, I was thinking about so many people that have walked through these doors, how you could brand them and label them useless, right? So many of us were useless. And yet when Jesus comes into our life, he makes us useful. Let's wrap up the story. Let's go to the, um, the next slide here. He says, I wanted to keep him here with me while I was in these chains for preaching the good news. And he would have helped me on your behalf, but I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted you to help because you were willing, not because you were forced. It seems you lost Onesimus for a little while so that you could have him back forever. That's awesome. Some of you have lost your sons and daughters for a little while. Maybe it seems like a long while. And the prayer is you'll have them back forever. Some of you have lost family members and friends, spiritually speaking, and you're going to get them back. And it's a beautiful text here. He says, he's no longer like a slave to you. He is more than a slave, for he is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. Martin Luther, uh, the great reformer, said this about this story in this text. He says, here we see how Paul lays himself out for poor Onesimus, and with all his means pleads his cause with his master, and so sets himself as if he were Onesimus, and had himself done wrong to Philemon, even as Christ did for us with God the Father, so Paul does for Onesimus with Philemon. And here's the conclusion. We are all his Onesimus, to my thinking. That's you and I, my friends. We're all slaves who've run away. We're fugitives, and we're useless. And yet in Jesus, we have a purpose. Few people really see as God sees. Few people really kind of get this in their heart until they reach the moment of brokenness. Because we hide, and we blame, and we run, and we disguise, because we're afraid of being exposed for who we are, that we're a slave to sin, the Bible says, to brokenness and dysfunction, that we are really a runaway, that truth be told, we were running from something. We came in the door walking, but we're really running inside, right? And that we need to go home. We need to go back to God to go home. Now, let me wrap this up. This is so cool. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. Now, this is in all caps because we think either Paul wrote all of it, but definitely wrote this part. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. (laughs) And I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. (laughs) Even though I just did. This is an awesome letter, by the way. This is so great. 
uh, when somebody says, I don't have to mention you owe me that, they just did, right? Okay. Yes, my brother, please do me this favor for the Lord's sake. Man, he's laying it on here. He is appealing with everything he has because it's not really the authority anymore. It's the influence of how much he loves both Philemon and his runaway slave and his must give me this encouragement in Christ. And then these are the last words right here. I'm confident as I write this letter that you will do what I ask and even more. One more thing. Please prepare a guest room for me for I'm hoping that God will answer your prayers and let me return to you soon. Paphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you his greeting. So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, and co-workers. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now, church history um, doesn't tell us a lot, but there are some indicators that Philemon did exactly this. In fact, there is a person named Onesimus that ends up being a pastor in Ephesus, later a serious church leader called a bishop. And many think that Onesimus the slave, because of Paul's discipleship and sharing the gospel with him, moved from being the runaway thief to being the one running with the gospel, declaring the good news everywhere. And he became Onesimus the pastor. Now, whether that's the same guy or not, we don't know. But we do know this. That's the same God, right? He does it to all of us. He takes the runaways and he welcomes them in his arms. Paul's investment in Onesimus and Philemon's welcome of forgiveness helped him live out the redemptive nature of the gospel. Can you imagine the shame that Onesimus would have been going through? First of all, he's a slave. Just the very status is something to be full of shame about. Maybe uh, you deserve it because of your debtedness or your sin or whatever. You stole something, whatever. You got bound up in this. Maybe you were born into slavery, but whatever. It's definitely a shameful thing. And you run away filled with shame. Now you're a slave and you're a runaway slave. You're a fugitive and you're fearing your very life. And you run from Asia Minor, Turkey area, across another country called Greece into another continent called Europe. And you're like, I'm going to hide in Rome and no one will find me there, right? (laughs) Yeah, our God loves to find runaways, right? And sometimes in our running away, we run smack dab into the face of Jesus in the form of a person like Paul. And can you imagine, it's like, imagine when Paul said, where'd you come from? Uh, Colossae? Really? I have friends in Colossae. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Who do you know? Well, a guy named Philemon. <clears throat> Don't know him. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you do. You do. Can you imagine what would have had to go through his heart to accept the fact that he was a slave filled with shame as a runaway to return to the point where he could say, I'm broken, I need Jesus, I can't fix it anymore. And then in in fear and wonder, not quite sure what Paul's gonna do next. When Paul says, I'm gonna send you back. Can you imagine the shame of walking back or riding back all the way there to know, did did Philemon really get the letter? (laughs) You know what I mean? Can I have a copy just in case, you know? See, our God is a God that restores and a God that heals but we got to see people the way God sees them. And when we do that, we'll love them the way God loves them. Now, I'll close with this. I always like to do this when I read the Bible. I like to ask, you know, who am I in the story? Or if I were there, what would I be feeling? What would I be encountering? So, you know, who are you in the story? A couple thoughts. You could be Paul. Uh, some of us are Paul. We're out there, you know, reaching people. The least, the last, and the lost. We're out there extending God's grace. We're searching for runaways, right? We're doing that. That's great. We love to do that. We love to do that. We never can forget, though, the whole reason we're doing it is because People are hurting and broken, right? 
not because we're better, we're not better. We're just, you know, further down the road, you know. Uh, you could be Onesimus. Uh, you, you've run away from your problems, right? Only to run smack dab into God. Maybe you're filled with shame. Maybe you're filled with fear and you're a runaway. I love that story that Jesus says in Luke 15 where when the son who ran away, the prodigal one, when he came back, his father ran to him. That's the runner. As God runs into our arms and welcomes us and calls us a son or daughter again. Or you could be Philemon. I think a lot of, I'm gonna say this, a lot of Christians are Philemon's. A lot of church people are Philemon's because they feel like they hold the card whether they're gonna forgive or not, whether they're gonna welcome or not. A lot of churches won't except strays. I was reading a Harley Davidson magazine that I got at the dealership over there. I was trying to buy a swing arm bag for my Iron 883. Thank you very much. And, um, and the guy was handing me a couple magazines and I'm, you know, I'm looking through this and I'm, I'm reading through that. And in one of the pages, it says, uh, it, it was kind of cool. It said, um, biker-friendly bars, okay, and restaurants. And I'm looking through it. And then it got to biker-friendly churches, I'm like, why aren't we on there? Not the bar, but the church. <laughs> why aren't, we're biker friendly, you know, we ride, right? But what does it mean to be really biker friendly? Would, if, if a group of hell's angels walked through that door, would you embrace them and love them and give them a cup of coffee and welcome them? I would hope so. But the fact that biker friendly churches have to be listed in a magazine really disappoints me because we should all be biker friendly, right? Or whatever friendly, but I just happen to choose that because it's a good night to mention writing. When we see others as God sees them, we'll be able to love them as God loves them. If you're Philemon and you need to welcome someone back, man, do it with open arms because Christ has welcomed you back. If you're Onesimus, run home. Just run home because you are forgiven in Jesus Christ. And if you're Paul, my friends, keep doing it. Keep welcoming the strays. We've got a great little video I want to show you from one of our own Sunrise folks. And it's going to take about five and a half minutes. And uh, I'd ask you just to kind of process through it as you hear and see the story, because it's a story of someone coming home. I'm Stephen, and I've been going to Sunrise for six or seven years now. And I have a story to tell you. About four or five of those years, I was not the person that people saw. I was afraid, I was ashamed, I was living in a sin that I felt I had no control over. I was hiding it and I was really wasting away. Um, I wished I was dead more often than, than I was glad I was alive. And I just was not trusting in God. In January of 2017, that came to a head. What I thought was secret really was not. And the FBI pounded on my door and came in and served a search warrant. As terrifying as that was, being involved in uh, the legal system, I, I was more afraid of what my friends and family were thinking, what people were gonna think of me, because for years I had just kept up this front that everything was okay. At church, the people who saw me, they, they liked me. They liked what I was showing them. They, uh, for the most part, I appeared normal. But I was just eaten alive with, with guilt and, and shame. And so 
I didn't even know whether they liked me or not, whether they just liked the person I was showing them. And I didn't trust anybody. I didn't trust anybody because I didn't trust me. I didn't like me, so I just couldn't accept that somebody else might even possibly like me. And so to be loved by another person was just unfathomable. Even my wife, I wasn't sure if if uh, I could trust that she loved me or if she just loved the person that she thought I was. So I admitted to my wife that I had a problem. I have a pornography problem. And it's been going on for 20 years. For 20 years I've been living a lie. And I... uh, I just had to come clean. I told my wife all about it that day. I wanted to come to our small group. We have a beautiful small group. It's a large small group. There are a lot of people there. And I wanted to let them know what I had been struggling with. I wanted to let them know that I needed their prayers. I needed their love. I needed them to still love me. And that was scary. And it was beautiful. Not one single person fled in terror. Uh, The love that was just poured out on my wife and I was, it was just mind-blowing. It just, finally, I was able to receive love that was meant for me and not this facade that I had put up, this this person that I wasn't. This was love really intended for me, and I was so relieved. That was two years ago, January 2017, that the FBI knocked on my door. My life changed. My life changed for the better because I fell on my knees that day, and I sought out who God was, who God is, because we serve a living God. And I found him. And I found out that I am a child of God. I'm facing 60 months to 120 months. I get sentenced on the 15th of January this year. So in a few days now, I'll be standing before the judge again. But I know, I know when I get into that institution, wherever they're going to send me, that I'm not going to be alone, that God is with me. Over the past two years, I have experienced God's love. He has been there for me. He's been there for me in the people that he's placed around me, in the community that is Sunrise Church, in the men's groups that I've been involved in, in the purity groups that I've gotten involved in. We have so many groups here at Sunrise that they're just a blessing. They're a blessing to anybody. I want to talk to you who's living in shame right now, who is deathly afraid to come clean. You're afraid that people won't like you, that nobody's going to love you. I want to tell you right now that you are loved, that you will be loved, that there is nothing you are going through or that you will go through, that God will not meet you right where you are and love you.